Amen. Amen. Now it's my turn. <laughs> if you were with us back in our core group days, you'll recall the Chesterton story that we read together called A Crazy Tale. For those who weren't with us, in this short story, we find a man who has been given the rare ability to see the world as if he's seeing it for the first time. So he is constantly astounded by the glory and the beauty and the creativity that is embedded into this wild and wonderful world that we inhabit. Things that seem so mundane and so vanilla to us. He is just shocked by, like rain and grass and cows and especially his first sight of a girl. And one of the most gripping moments in this short story is him remembering the look in his mother's eye when she looked at him when he was a baby. It was so full of love that he thought to himself that he must have done some great deed for her in a former life. When, in reality, as the reader we knew, she was just so grateful that he was. And the line that follows is one of the most poignant. He says this, There are few things more beautiful than gratitude. For Chesterton, gratitude was not simply a part of our life. No. Gratitude to him was the constant posture of a healthy, Godward soul. He would write near the end of his autobiography, which, ironically enough, was published the year he died. He said this, I hope it's not pompous to call the chief idea of my life. I will not say the doctrine that I have always taught, but the doctrine that I should have always liked to have taught. That is, the idea of taking all things with gratitude and not for granted. Christian gratitude truly is a beautiful thing because it is a life lived through the lens of the gospel. It is a life awake to reality. Well, today, as we continue on in our study of Philippians, we're going to see that it is a beautiful letter in the Chestertonian sense of that word. Philippians is a beautiful letter, for it is a letter soaring with gratitude and joy. Indeed, in these four short chapters, we find the word for joy or rejoice at least 16 times. It's a theme, and it is beautiful. So please, if you haven't already, open your Bibles to Philippians 1. One of the key reasons we chose to study the book of Philippians as our first sermon series at Pilgrim Hill is because being young, we are still very much in the cultural setting days of our life together. The, the concrete is still quite wet, as it were, which means we can shape and for things, form things without having to get a jackhammer involved yet. And this is one of the blessings of church planting, yet that's also one of the chief responsibilities, to make sure that we are forming something sturdy and something beautiful and something Godward and something Christ-centered and something gospel-grounded 
from the outset. That's why we chose Philippians. I want self-consciously for Pilgrim Hill to be cut from the Philippian cloth. That is my prayer. That is, I want us to be a people who are being so formed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, who are becoming so secure in our identity as saints of God that are on an unstoppable trajectory towards glory, so confident in the lordship of Jesus Christ over all things, so convinced in the sovereign purposes of God and that he will use every one of our efforts through faith in a way that expands his kingdom in our homes and in our lives and in our jobs and in our schools. That is, we are so sure of these things that we are becoming more and more a people who radiates with joy and with gratitude and with courage, especially when things get hard. This is what we find all over the book of Philippians. And I long for Christ to continue doing this maturing work in us, the work that he did in Paul, where we can say with Paul what he'll say just in a few verses, to live is Christ for me now. He's just so devoted to his Savior. And to die is gain for me. How do you stop a man who says something like that? What are you going to do, kill me? Total gain, then. Entering into glory. That's amazing. I want that for us. When hard things come, we don't grumble. We rejoice because we believe in God and we believe in his gospel. Last week, we saw what undergirds all of this, namely the gospel. Knowing that the good news, that God's first word to us, his loudest word, his ultimate word to us as Christians is always grace to you in Christ. That's how Paul started Philippians. That's how Paul always starts. The gospel is the granite foundation that the happy warrior Christian builds his entire life on. The active knowledge, the active knowledge that through Christ we are forgiven, we are beloved, our eternity is secure, our identity is in Christ, and then we are unleashed to glorify God in all that we do, which it turns out is the chief end of our existence. So, from the get-go, Paul speaks gospel to them. And today, we, we move forward now. We are, as it were, pushing out of the harbor into the open sea of the book of Philippians. So, for the next two weeks, we'll be in verses 3 through 8. Today, mainly verses 3 through 5. So, let's dive on in together now. Beginning with verses 3 and four, feel free to read along with me as I read aloud. Having greeted the Philippians, he now writes this. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. One thing is crystal clear. Paul has a deep, a warm, a richly pastoral affection for the Philippians, 
and he wants them to know it. He labors to let them know it. He uses grand and soaring language to convey his affection for them. Look at these superlatives again. He says, all my remembrance, always in every prayer of mine, you all fill me with so much joy. Paul loves the Philippians deeply. Now, he certainly loved all the churches, but sometimes the tone is quite different depending on what the need of the hour requires. For instance, in Galatians, he loves them, but he's not happy with them. He says things to them like, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? <laughs> or, I'm astonished at you, that you've deserted the gospel so quickly. He doesn't love them any less than the Philippians, but they're certainly not as easy to love as the Philippians. But when his mind and his heart turns towards Philippi, he soars. It, it almost seems over the top. You know that person who texts with all caps and uses way too many emojis, and it's like, take it easy, right? Less, less is more. It almost feels like that a little bit here at the beginning, like he's going overboard, but he isn't. He isn't at all. He is blood earnest. The Philippians were front and center so often in Paul's thoughts and prayers during this time for a very specific reason, which we will see in verse 5 when we get there in a bit. But before we see that, I first want to make two general kind of 30,000-foot view observations from this, beautiful, from this beautiful beginning. These are two things that I think are instructive for us just at Chris, as Christians generally. So two observations first, and then we'll continue on from there. The first general observation from the opening is this. Christian encouragement is a wonderful gift to give. Christian encouragement is a wonderful gift to give. I've often said that encouragement is the most underutilized free resource that the Christian has at their disposal. To encourage each other, to openly express our affection, to speak some truth about where we see God at work in someone, in our sphere, it costs us nothing except maybe pride. And it is so enriching to the person receiving it. We see where God is at work in someone's life, and we just simply say, or text, just so you know, I see that in you. I see God at work in you. I see Christ doing this in you, and I'm just so thankful for it. Just so you know. That is wonderfully edifying. That is a gift to give. I love that word edifying. It's the same word for edifice. It literally means to build, to build up. And this is a gift that Paul is giving to them on purpose. He wants them to shine when they read this. And of course, this is all God's design. We're relational creatures made in God's image. And part of the way that he designed for us to relate or to connect or to be bound together is through affectionate words through Christian encouragement. Proverbs 27, 5 speaks to this innate God-designed need in us. It's an interesting proverb. It says this, Open rebuke is better than hidden love. 
Open rebuke is better than hidden love. That is to say, if you love someone but you never express it, it would be better for their soul if they were to be rebuked about something, because at least in that context, there's a, there's a relational connection. But if care or appreciation or delight or encouragement is never verbalized, never spoken out, love does not have the binding effect that God designed for it. God wrote that proverb. <laughs> he understands that. Well, Paul's love is certainly not hidden towards the Philippians. His affection is evident. His encouragement is emphatic. He puts it out there in no uncertain terms. He says, I thank God for you. Every time I think about you, I am so thankful. I pray for you all the time, and you are such a joy to me. And he'll continue to expound on this as we go on. This is a wonderful gift to give. In the context, it's likely that he's so emphatic here at the beginning because he knows that they'll be concerned for him, and he wants to put their minds at ease. He's in chains. They're getting a letter. How's our Pastor Paul doing? So that's certainly true, and we'll see him do that more as well in the letter. And I also believe that he is self-consciously setting a tone for them as well. This is what I mean. In this letter, he intends to disciple them in the way of sturdy, gospel-grounded, spirit-empowered joy. Paul wants to show them the way of the happy warrior. So they hear he's in prison, and then they receive the letter, assume that it could start off with all of his struggles and how bad things are, but it's not. Right out of the gate, it is joy and thankfulness. Why? Because Christ has been so faithful to Paul. This encouragement is a wonderful gift to give. For us at Pilgrim Hill, by God's grace, we are an encouraging fellowship. Think of your text this week, Grant. We're, we're an encouraging fellowship. And so I am so thankful to not have to say, let's start doing this. But my encouragement to us is let's keep doing this. Let's do so more and more. Let's, let's outdo one another in showing honor. That's an awesome competition. Let's see who can honor each other more. That's scripture. That's God speaking to us. And I'll just say again, personally, even in this planting process, so much of the wind in my sails has come from the encouragement of the saints. God appropriates our encouragement to build his kingdom. That's an awesome thought. And for fathers and husbands, I'm going to say a special word to us. Because historically, some men have gotten the unbiblical and destructive idea that expressing our affection, being free with our encouragement, is unmasculine. Well, these two verses, along with the entire Bible, explode that idea. And as the covenant head of our households, we must speak. We must share our affection and our encouragement openly and freely 
Because God has given us the sacred duty of communicating in a very unique way his love for our people. He means for our love to have a profound, stabilizing impact on our homes. So let's be a church where our wives and our kids read Philippians 1, 3, and 4, and they say, oh yeah, I have a category for that. I totally have a category for that. My husband says all the time, so thankful for you. You bring me so much joy. I love that idea. May our children know before everything else that we are so thankful for them. They make our prayers with joy all the time. And know too, men, that the enemy wants to keep your mouth shut. He wants you to feel awkward with expressing love because he knows how powerful it is for good. 10,000 home issues are smashed preemptively when the man is open with his affection and his love. Now, women, of course, I could give you a similar exhortation, but let's be honest, it's a little bit harder for us as men. So we need your love, too, but us men sometimes need a little bit more encouragement in that direction. First observation from verse 3 through 4. Genuine Christian encouragement, it is a wonderful gift to give. So let's give it often. It's free for us. It makes the church rich. Observation two. Still thinking generally here. Purposeful prayer kindles thanksgiving and joy. Purposeful prayer kindles thanksgiving and joy. So what do I mean by purposeful prayer? Well, another thing that is clear in these verses is that prayer is something that Paul does on purpose. Where do I see that? Well, look again at the text, verses 3 through 4. Paul says he remembers the Philippians often. So we see that first in all my remembrance. So he's thinking of them. And then as they come into his mind... As he, as he thinks of their faces and he remembers their laughter and he exults in their camaraderie, he brings that thought before God. That is, he turns his remembering into a prayer on purpose. And we see that emphatically when he says, I remember you, and then always in every prayer, you make my prayer with joy. You made it into my prayers. It didn't just happen. You made my prayers with joy. By repeating himself, he's being emphatic. When I think of you, I pray for you every time. In Thessalonians, Paul would exhort the church there to pray without ceasing. Now, that doesn't mean living life on our knees. That's not practical, and that's not what God is after here. Rather, it's this. It's purposely taking the thoughts that we have throughout the day before the Lord. It's more and more having a reflex of bringing God in on our internal conversations. And this, as it turns out, radically reshapes how we view our circumstances, especially like here when they are, where they're challenging. So remember, and let's never forget this as we're in the book of Philippians, Paul's in chains here. He's under very undesirable circumstances. But the physical discomfort and the duress, though very real, it's not the loudest thing in his mind. 
All that gets lower on the fader as he turns up prayer. And the result is thanksgiving and joy. This is what brackets the beginning. I thank my God every time I think of you. Remember the logic. I remember you. I bring it to God. Now I'm thankful. And then the other bracket. You all made my prayer with joy. Again, you always do. Purposeful prayer, I'm arguing, kindles thanksgiving and joy in Paul's heart. And we do really learn something important here, something that we often don't perhaps believe, and it's this. We really do, through the Holy Spirit of God, through the fellowship of the saints encouraging us, have the Spirit-empowered ability to set our minds on things above. To always remember that God is good, he can be trusted, and there are fingerprints of grace everywhere if we have the right lens on. Now, to be sure, this is not a mathematical formula, as if you're, you're feeling down and you want a quick hit of joy and just follow the steps and you'll get an emotional boost every time. That, of course, is not what I'm talking about. We we aren't after quick emotional boosts. The The world can give us that in a thousand ways. But what we are after is getting inch by inch closer to the source of all joy. We are after God himself. This is what Christ has accomplished for us. 1 Peter 3, 18. It says, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God now. Paul's joy and thankfulness is the fruit of gospel maturity, living life with God for a long time. This is what we are after. Jesus called it abiding with him, moment by moment. And notice how Paul speaks of God in verse 3. It would be so easy to miss, but it's very important. He doesn't just say, I thank God for you. He could have. He didn't. What, what did he say specifically? He says, I thank my God for you. For him, God is not an abstract thought. God is not an idea. C.S. Lewis wrote somewhere, there have been men before who got so interested in proving the existence of God that they came to care nothing for God himself, as if the good Lord had nothing to do but exist. No. Our God is a personal God, and he is the center of all joy and peace. And in Christ, he has now become my God. Providence, our two-and-a-half-year-old, over the past year at some point, switched from saying mommy and daddy to my mommy and my daddy. (laughs) And it landed strange on me at first, as if she needed to clarify for me. So my mommy said I'm allowed to do that. I'm like, I know her pretty well. And it was kind of strange, but then it occurred to me, perhaps this is actually a healthy part of her starting to understand her world, where mommy and daddy are less abstract and have become more personal. And it's it's a more stabilizing thing for her to take hold of us with, with both hands like that. Like, this is brother and sister's mommy as well, but she's my mommy, too. And this is my daddy. 
As we mature as Christians, we start to understand God, not, not just as God, but as my God. So, so Paul's saying, I don't just thank God now. He needs so much more in the Philippian prison to just thank God. <laughs> he needs to thank my God. This is something Paul understood deeply. So when he prays for the Philippians, he is praying for people that he dearly loves to a God he deeply knows and trusts, who is personal and who is stabilizing. And for Paul here, thanksgiving and joy were the fruit of a life oriented towards my God. We see this same theme beautifully in Psalm 16, verses 8 through 9. This could almost be a commentary on this part of Philippians. David writes this, Psalm 16. He says, I have set the Lord always before me. So this is purposeful Godwardness. Because he's at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. Joy. And my whole being rejoices. And my flesh also dwells secure. I'd have to imagine Paul thought often of that psalm in these conditions. All right. So two initial observations at the outset. One, Christian encouragement is a wonderful gift to give. And two, purposeful prayer kindles thanksgiving and joy. Now we'll switch gears. After thinking more generally, let's now drill down for a minute a little bit more on what specifically brought Paul joy about the Philippians. Why had they made this prayer with joy specifically? Why is he thanking God for them specifically? Verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So there it is. Here we see why there is such a deep bond between Paul and the Philippians that word for partnership here is the word koinonia. That's the word for communion that we use. It envisions two parties that are bound together around something that is precious or valuable to them. And for Paul and the Philippians, the gospel was that treasure. We've already seen how the Philippians had been dramatically changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul had been as well. And the Philippians were called to stay in Philippi and to, to cultivate the kingdom of God in Philippi. But Paul was called to just keep going around the known world and planting as many churches as he could. And the Philippians had said to Paul, no matter where you go, we are with you because we are bound together by the gospel now. We're bound to you. And this fellowship, this, this partnership, this gospel camaraderie was very precious to Paul because the Lord Jesus had called Paul to a very difficult task. It was not an easy task. He was to be the first apostle to the Gentiles. He was to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the unbelievers in the known world. This was very hard and very lonely, much peril. And if you remember Paul's conversion, the Lord initially blinded him and then the Lord appeared to a man named Ananias 
And he said to Ananias, so there's a guy named Paul just down the street. I want you to go to him and, and to pray for him and to recover his sight. God was going to use Ananias to bring Paul's sight back. And Ananias said, uh-uh. I have heard of that guy. He clearly got the wrong address because he is a persecutor of the church. And look at how the Lord eases Ananias' mind. The Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. Verse 16 of Acts 9. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Paul was called to suffer. And suffer he did. And the Philippians were faithful and they were loyal to Paul in a way no other church had been. And right near the end of his letter, we get more specifics on what this partnership looked like. And this is, this is really precious. This is right near the end. Philippians 4, verses 15 through 16. It helps us understand this verse better. He wrote this. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, so when I was just first getting after it, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs. It was very sweet, very, very tender. They were with him from the first day when no one else supported him. But the Philippians did. They had a, a special bond around the gospel. And it's no wonder that he remembers them and he prays for them so frequently. They have stood by him not just first, but the longest. Even to that very day, they had continued to support his ministry, both financially and relationally. And we're going to see that in more detail as we continue on in the book of Philippians. So it's good for that to color our understanding of why Paul is so taken, so thankful for the Philippians. And for us here at Pilgrim Hill, this hits close to home as we are just beginning a new gospel work in our community here. Now, of course, unlike Philippi, we're not the first gospel work, but it's, it's not easy to plant a church. It takes a clear call, it takes faith, it takes a lot of encouragement and support from other believers. And I thank God for those who have supported us along this process. And I mentioned this in our core group meeting, but it's worth repeating, especially for those who weren't there. The Axis Church, the church where I was a pastor for several years, has been a, a precious point of support and encouragement for us. Not just through their, their confirmation and their sending, um, but for their financial provision. I'm still on the Axis payroll, and I'm not serving them anymore. That is their support of us. And so I, I want you to hear me say that I am so thankful for, for that. We're, we're able to do this without feeling the initial pinch that so many churches feel because the Axis has partnered with us from the first. And so I, I praise God for them and for Pastor Jeremy. And also, as far as us supporting the planting of the gospel, we want to get in on that from the get-go. Some other friends from the Axis, their names are Ryan and Becca Stanley. They're moving to Iceland to be missionaries. And Pilgrim Hill has supported them with a one-time gift, and we're going to be monthly supporting them as well as our first sowing of seeds and gospel work going abroad. And so there are some of these cards out there at the table. Their website is The Stanley Saga. 
so you can check that more, more out about what they're doing. And I want us to be praying for them and, and encouraging them. So we're thankful to be partnered with in the gospel, and we're eager to partner in the planting of the gospel. And what makes all of this most astonishing is that it is actually Jesus Christ working through us as the gospel goes forward. We're going to see that very specifically in verse 6 and beyond. But for now, let us understand why the Philippians were so precious to Paul. Let us give the gift often of Christian encouragement to one another. Let's remind each other of our identity in Christ. Let's be on the lookout for specific ways that we see Christ at work and put a, put a highlighter on them. And let's be a people who are purposeful in our prayer, who bring all of our thoughts more and more before the face of God. Coram Deo. That's something I love about the Table Talk magazine. Every devotional ends with Coram Deo. How do I bring this before the face of God? All God's people said, amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, we thank you for preserving your word for us, for giving us an amazing insight to the way that you began your church and how 2,000 years later, here we are. It has proved true. Christ is true. Christ is risen. Christ is reigning. And Father, I pray that through your Holy Spirit, more and more, you would confirm the gospel to us. That Jesus Christ more and more would become what he truly is, the, the greatest treasure in the world, the consolation of Israel. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.